Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. would love it if they decided to redo Vandermeer's Southern Reach trilogy. Oh, it's a limited HBO. series. Yes, limited yeah. series, three seasons only. Would love it. It'd be great. I asked Jeff Vandermeer personally in our Reddit AMA mm-hmm. how he would feel about your casting of Oscar Isaac as Control. And he was like, yeah, he's exactly who I was thinking of for that See? character. See? And I knew it. Yeah, yeah, and he was also like, uh, I think the the best situation to adapt it moving forward would be to do a limited series. Yes. I would want some sort of creative oversight on it. Exactly. It's just so strange with that movie because it's directed by a guy who started his career as a novelist, Alex Garland. Garland? Oh, I didn't know that. It's Yeah, he wrote The Beach and a bunch of other stuff, but he transitioned from novel writing into screenwriting and then into directing and it's so insane that he took somebody else's book and he was just like well let me like throw out 90 percent of this and just kind of <laughs> make my own thing off it. well i mean How i think that's just what happens that he conscience? was just converted to the dark side and decided that he had to do what he and the other thing is this yeah annihilation is incredibly interior a lot of it's just stream of consciousness descriptions of places there's so much mood that i can imagine that that was what made it hard for him to adapt i think you could visualize the hypnosis i won't get into it too much i won't Mm -hmm. spoil the book but there is hypnosis involved in the character's perspectives right and i think you could actually visualize that you could and the fact that they didn't means that a bunch of the biggest reveals and so much of what's exciting in the book yeah just got cut out yeah man yeah even authority i think would be really really fun to adapt (sighs) to the screen It'd be so good. It'd be like a very, very strange comedy. It'd be a strange office comedy, but like with (laughs) overwhelming horror sort of in the background. 
I reread it and I reread it maybe sometime earlier this year or maybe late yeah. last year. And I was like, oh, this is so creepy. I bet it's just scarier on the reread. Yeah. Oh, it is. Oh, it totally is because there's oh. dialogue from, from, mm-hmm. from Annihilation that is yeah. repeated in authority. And it's just weird. You're just like, oh, this is upsetting. This is very unsettling. Loved it, though. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. Those books are fucking amazing. Love okay. them. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. All right. <laughs> we doing we, this? Uh... Yeah, yeah. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Goat Season. So happy to have you with us. This is a podcast about the greatest individual seasons of television of all time, their most memorable episodes, and their creative teams, both in front of and behind the camera. I'm Phil Mitchell, and along with me is my co-host. He's doing this for the culture every single time he's on the mic, Mr. Alex Sinesi. Bro, what it is. Man, I am not in that socially conscious headspace anymore. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm rebranding. I'm just ignorant now, all right? What? Just pure ignorance from here on out, all right? (laughs) I love the honesty in that. Just like, yeah, I, I don't care. F the culture. I pimped all my butterflies. I'm out. There you go. (laughs) All out of butterflies. Oh, man. What a great album. Anyway, so today we are talking about episodes 9 and 10 of the first season of Lost, which are entitled Solitary. And what is our other one that we've got? Raised by Another. Yes. Two interesting episodes. I think I, I asked you this. Like They almost feel like they're two halves of the same hour long or two hour long movie like it feels like it would have been like a to be continued maybe at the end of one but even the other one feels Mm -hmm. like it's got a cliffhanger as well so yeah um two very interesting episodes very different in terms of the pacing and just the tone overall and so yeah I'm, i'm excited to talk about these me too man there's a lot of interesting stuff going on behind the scenes while these two episodes were being created that I think lends to that feel that you're talking about. But yeah, I guess we'll kick it off with Solitary, which is our Saeed episode. It is. I've been waiting for a long time to talk about this one because I am, I think I'm a Saeed stan. And I think I might have said this earlier, but I am. I like Naveen Andrews in this role. It's pretty awesome. During Solitary, we pick up right where we left off with Saeed, who is traveling. He's basically scoping out the island. He decides that he is going to spend some time on the beach. He finds um, some items. What is it? Like a rope or a cable on the beach that catches his curiosity. He follows it around. He gets captured by this woman who is a crazed island inhabitant whose name is Danielle Rousseau, played by Mia Furlan. She is the French woman from the recording that they heard a couple of episodes back. Danielle Rousseau lives in an underground bunker, Uh, She's just out of it. She just doesn't have much left. She's stranded. She's worn out. And so Saeed is basically stuck with this woman, misery style. To gain uh, Danielle's trust, Saeed, he shares some of his background. And during the flashback timeline, we find out that Saeed was an interrogator for the Iraqi Republican Guard um, under the supervision of his best friend, Omar. And during this flashback, Saeed, he's tasked with interrogating his childhood crush, whose name is Nadia, played by Andrea Gabriel. Um, who is a member of an Iraqi insurgency. When Saeed is commanded to execute Nadia, he instead helps her escape, and he has to kill Omar in the process. 
Back in the current timeline, Danielle, in a moment of lucidity, decides that she is going to explain to Saeed her background as well. She talks about how she was a member of a science expedition that landed on the island um, and that one by one all of her crew members basically disappeared. And she doesn't really explain what that means. She just says that they're all gone now. It's, it's creepy, right? It, it like, is it's really creepy. creepy. It's, it's something we're going to come back to a few times talking about both of these episodes is that these are sort of the episodes where the network got kind of nervous about the basic concept mm-hmm. of the show and the genres it was exploring. But uh, one example of that is that in the original script, when Rousseau talked about her science research team, Said asks her what she was studying, and she says, time. And the network made them cut that out. Uh, mm, that's very interesting. Yeah. So Saeed eventually escapes and he sets out into the jungle alone again. And that is the entirety of Solitary. What do you think about it as an episode? I liked it. Yeah, I did too. This is another episode that was uh, shot by Larry Fong, who uh, shot the pilot. And I'm realizing now he only shot nine episodes of the first season and then didn't work on the show after that. But looking at the episodes he did, they definitely have a really strong look to them. He uh, uses a combination of shallow focus photography in all the interrogation scenes and then really nice deep focus in the scenes of Hurley building the golf course, which are just wonderful. I love all those scenes. I love that Hurley's really getting uh, more of a role in these episodes. It feels like they've already landed upon his role within the group and are starting to flesh him out and give him more chances as an actor. Yeah. And I love to see it. I, I really do. <laughs> I really love that moment where uh, Jack says that uh, things could be worse on the island and Hurley just says, how? Like he's so, yeah. <laughs> he's just like, well, what are you talking about, man? This is as bad as it's ever going to get. What do you, what do you mean? If only in the sense that everyone is so miserable, it's like, literally we are focusing on nothing except the absolute negative. And he's like, yeah, we, we gotta have some way for people to blow off steam. And uh, yeah, it's, it's great. So I really like the look of that episode. I guess on the flip side of it, I would just say the side flashbacks, I think are interesting a lot happens they're very dramatic i really like the escape and how he aids nadia and shoots himself it's just a really cool like self-sacrifice moment but overall i felt like his flashbacks um kind of suffered from a lack of specificity in what way i just i wish that they had had a bit more real world detail every single conversation in the flashbacks is so plot and character motivation dense the one conversation he has with omar is like oh and as as you know you're my best friend and also my superior but you're not going to be my superior much longer because i'm going to move right up in the ranks and then the next time he sees him he has to like shoot him and i i wish that his story had been decompressed a little bit more and we had just gotten one small piece of his backstory that just felt a little more filled with like day-to-day detail and things like that. Um, It just felt like a bit more of a rough sketch than the best flashbacks on the show. I, I liked the flashback and the reason why I do like it is because I believed the chemistry between Naveen Andrews and Gabrielle. 
I thought that the two of them played off of each other very, very well, even in like the few scenes that they had together. I was like, oh, I believe this. This is two people who haven't seen each other in a very long time. They're reuniting, and she still got a, a leg up on him. It's so funny because in the current timeline, Saeed seems like this awesome, composed hyper competent person exactly yeah. and, in, and and it's not to say that during the flashback he's not but it's just that you realize oh wait she she still got him like if not in the head she's got him by the heart in a way i just think that that really works i think it's really cool yeah yeah they they play very well i thought the idea that both of these characters have been through a lot and so they're sort of holding tight to the emotional connection they have just because it's like well, yeah, I've suffered, you've suffered, everyone I know has suffered, but I can sort of snap back to this connection that we have, too, you know, because yeah. those have to be so few and far between. And I bought that between them. I mean, obviously, when this episode came out, the U.S. was invading Iraq, and it's an incredibly fraught time, and so I think there was a certain real-world urgency to the idea of bringing in this character who's from the other side quote unquote but who's so uh sympathetic and so humanized and you know i i look at it now and i'm like i i wish that they had gone even a bit further of just sure sort of pushing his characterization in terms of just the detail making it seem like not such a rough sketch mm -hmm. just a little less rote but i i mean i think they did yeah. a, a, an admirable job. Thank you for mentioning the fact that the Losties decided to build a golf course because it really is a f interesting juxtaposition <laughs> between the intensity between Rousseau and Saeed and yeah. then just watching Jack decide that he's going to go for a nine iron or a seven iron while they're playing island golf. Yeah, it's, uh, it's great. Contrasting of tones mm -hmm. really works there. And as I said before, the way that uh, they chose to shoot it also really separates those storylines in a fun way and it's a great role for hurley for yeah sure. i like it yeah so you know i i think overall totally solid episode it gives uh andrews some chances mm -hmm. to really shine and uh we'll probably get into more his backstory as an actor but um like you i i'm a big fan of saeed he's definitely top tier character on lost if anything he's sort of the character who i wish they had always done more with exactly i feel exactly yeah. the same way about that character it's between kate and saeed that i mm -hmm. wish had gotten a little bit more play throughout the course of the series yeah for sure the the other thing i would just mention is that this episode is kind of the first that dumps a bunch of new mysteries on us, mm -hmm. mostly via Rousseau, but it really is setting up a lot of the threads that'll continue through to the end of this season, if not beyond. Yeah. And as we're going to talk about more the shuffling, the shifting going on behind the scenes was very indicative of this, but this was one of the first episodes that was taking place after the initial brainstorming session and this was them sort of rebuilding toward the end of the season and potentially the rest of the series uh and so immediately we get a bunch of threads getting dropped on us like the black rock right the whispers right the mysterious illness yep yeah and that i remember at the time especially being so exciting and just every it was great i was hanging on every word oh of from course Russo. of yeah. course and she played, I, I really like her performance. Um, and she shows up again a couple of other times 
in the show in the show's run and I, I think she does a great job every time she's on screen yeah mm-hmm. Henry Farlon, she uh she has such a great intensity she actually just passed away in january of this year really uh, I, I did not know that yeah i did not know yeah. that all right but, um she was great do we want to talk about naveen andrews oh definitely yeah 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 i did not know that when they considered bringing him on the show that they hadn't written the character of saeed and so he, yeah. this that character was written specifically for him and I believe it, who is this uh, person? I believe it was one of the producers on The Beast, maybe? ABC's The Beast? Yeah, Jeff Pinkner, um, who had worked on The Beast, remembered oh. Andrews. Um, I think The Beast was like a news drama that was on for like one season, got canceled. Um, and Andrews had worked pretty closely with Pinkner. And then when Pinkner was a consultant on Lost, he remembered and I guess one of the things that the creators had in mind was having a very diverse cast. And so he reached out to Andrews and asked if he wanted to be on the show. And I think Andrews, you know, didn't really know much about the character, but just kind of rolled with it as the creators were fleshing out the story, which I think maybe might be what you're pointing to, which is they didn't really have a good grasp on who Saeed was as they were creating the show. And so maybe that's why his flashback seems a little sparse. Yeah, I guess too, like just the whole yellow filter to represent a hot and inhospitable place. Like it's very like <laughs> early 2000s. It's like, yes, thanks it's, traffic. It's very know? traffic. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> yeah, what I thought. Yeah. Thank you, Soderbergh. There were just some elements that felt a little boilerplate about it. But no, I, I mean, I think it was definitely an audacious idea to immediately be like, yeah, this guy, uh, what's his backstory going to be? Oh, he was in the Republican Guard. It immediately sets him up just as, as a character with a lot of potential conflict around him. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I really like how they play that. I, I love how you're almost immediately completely on his side and also just feeling like he's one of the few guys who can actually figure out how to get out of a bunch of the problem situations that yes. they have. He doesn't just have one particular skill he can offer to the group. He's no. kind of an all around. He's a Swiss army knife. Leader. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So he's like a, he's a British born actor. Naveen Andrews uh, attended the Guildhall school of music and drama. I think he was in the same cohort as Ewan McGregor and David Thewlis. Wow. Journeyman actor. I think all of his uh, roles that he had been offered prior to Lost didn't really match the talent that he brings to the screen. His first role is in 1991's London Kills Me. I think his character's name in that movie is Bike. Uh, his biggest <laughs> role... Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm not even that... going to talk about that. No, no. I'm not even going to. We're, we're just moving on past that. So his biggest role, I think, up till this point is in The English Patient. Yeah, that's the only thing I've seen. Exactly, in, yeah. Aside from Lost, really. Mm-hmm. So he's a journeyman yeah. actor as well, just sort of like a lot of the other people that are in the cast. He gets no work in the mid-90s because he's actually recovering from drug addiction. And then he picks up in 2001 with The Beast on ABC. He's cast in Rollerball in 2002. Oof. Oh, yes. That's Alex Core right no, there. Yeah, not. that is Alex Core, my friend. Not. Oh, yes, it I is. Am, I'm the world's biggest John McTiernan fan, but I can stand no part of that movie. <laughs> Don't even lie. <laughs> that movie lie. is basically the reason he was incarcerated for tax fraud. You love that movie. Uh, Don't even lie. Anyway, uh, so yeah, and then after Rollerball, blah, I can't talk. Rollerball, he is uh, cast in Lost. And it's interesting, I haven't seen him in other roles after the show ended, 
but he has been in a few other television shows, a couple of other series. He's been in the Wachowski Sensate. He did make an appearance in Robert Rodriguez's Planet Terror, and he's in an upcoming Hulu drama about Elizabeth Holmes and uh, the ill-fated Theranos Company. So he's still getting work. He's still out there. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think it might have been a situation with him where he was kind of pegged as difficult post-Lost because Mm. I know that he did not get along with a lot of the other cast members on the show. Like Matthew Fox was definitely chief among them. And as we know now, a bunch of people didn't get along with Matthew Fox. Yeah. But uh, I think overall he, he kind of had some conflict with the creators as Mm -hmm. well. And uh, I do wonder if that kind of blacklisted him from getting more opportunities because I mean, you look at the guy and he's, he's so handsome. He's so charismatic. He's just, imminently watchable Mm -hmm. he holds a close-up so well like i think about like all of the moments in this episode where we go out from a flashback or into a flashback on his face and uh they're they're just all so great sort of how he's more fresh-faced but also haunted in his flashbacks to how he's just got this real like intensity and confidence when he's on the island and he he plays both so well it's interesting because he also had said in an interview that he wished the show had only been one season yeah he's like the other seasons the ending of the show vibes yeah but the first season he was like i was so proud of the first season of that show and i loved it and i was glad i was a part of it so yeah clearly he had Mm -hmm. i guess conflict or maybe disagreements about the way that the show proceeded yeah and, and speaking of those conflicts, this was the time that Carlton Cuse was brought in to be the co-show runner. It's an interesting thing in terms of timing because this episode is solely credited to David Fury as the writer. And basically what was happening was David Fury was concentrating on this episode and the entire rest of the writing staff was working on Raised by Another and Carlton Cuse was a go-between who was working with Fury and then working with everybody else. And so right away, that amount of separation sort of suggests to me that there was a conflict going on, that maybe Fury and Lindelof were not getting along or there was some sort of a struggle for more creative control going on there. But the fact that he was separated out and that this episode was retooled a little bit in the making definitely you know suggest that there were some shakeups behind the scene because this episode was actually supposed to air after raised by another claire not being in this episode is because she was supposed to be kidnapped okay and when they settled upon the subplot of hurley creating the golf course everyone was like wait a minute If Claire's kidnapped and then the main island plot is how can everybody relax? Play golf. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't quite work. It doesn't. It paints these characters in a pretty bad light. Yeah. So they flipped the episode order and it was pretty easy for them to do it. All they had to do was add one Ethan scene to this mm-hmm. episode. This mm-hmm. episode is the introduction of Ethan Rom, played by William O'Pother, who is one of my favorite. <laughs> he's one of my favorite minor lost characters. Oh, for yes. Sure. Yeah. So he pops up here and then is a big part of the next episode. And then also they took the last scene of this episode, Solitary, where Saeed runs out of the jungle and says, we're not alone. Right. And they just cut that and put that in Raised by Another. Oh, okay, okay, okay. That makes yeah. sense. And that, that you're right, that does work because, I mean, as we'll discuss with the next episode, 
it feels like everything comes to a point of culmination at the end of Raised by Another. And part of it is that last scene with Saeed popping back into back onto the beach and he's just like desperate and shaken to his core and it's like oh man what is going on here like it's all working all of that's working yeah like that. it's funny just that you're like oh yeah feels like there's more serialization going on right. in this and it's literally because they're like <laughs> swapping episodes mixing and matching scenes trying to figure out how to put this all together yeah. on the fly serialization by accident yeah right <laughs> That was something a lot of people remarked on too. David Fury among them in his sort of scathing takedown of Lost that came kind of midway through season two. But one thing he talked about a lot was that to make these bits of connective tissue work and to also fill in mysteries and not contradict them later, they were going back and reshooting scenes for earlier episodes that had otherwise been completed late into the season. And it caused the budget to go way, way over Mm. on this season. Thank you, Lloyd Braun. (laughs) My man. Uh, But, you know, it, it makes so much sense in that context, too, where it's like, Lloyd Braun set this up. He didn't really sell the network on it. He basically like smuggled this series into existence. And now the network's being like, wait, wait, wait. Do you want to be this sci-fi about it? Do you want to be this like mythology heavy? Do you want to do this much wackadoo shit? We've got normal people watching this, you know, and we're a network. So we're getting a little nervous, Lindelof, with all this nerdy shit you're bringing in. And it's like, that's the show. How can you look at this show from the beginning and not think that there's a sci-fi twist or a fantasy twist. It's just right there. It's also interesting to think there was nothing really going on at ABC at the time. So why even be bothered that this show might have sci-fi, fantasy, mystical elements to it? You have nothing going on except for, what, the mole right now? Like, that's the only thing that you've got (laughs) on your schedule, on your roster. Just give it up. Give it up. See what happens. Let it unfold. It just speaks to such a different time in television production when networks were totally at the mercy of particular demographics because those demographics lined up with the advertisements that they'd already purchased. Because in the end for the networks, it's like they're just a business to show you advertisements. That's their entire economic structure. The whole idea is we need to keep these commercials on the air and whatever we put in between the commercials is just to like hook people till the next break. That's how they viewed this artistic medium. And so I, I think that's it. Any deviation from the norm, any deviation from that real in the pocket kind of widest possible swath of American audience got them a little nervous. Yeah, man. It's a good episode, though. I do like Solitary. I do, too, man. I do, too. I'm always happy to see Saeed get a lead role, and uh, Russo's reveal is so great. Can't wait to hear more about the Black Rock. Can't wait to hear more about the others, you know? This is the start of the fun shit, man. It is. Yeah, this is the turn. This is the pivot point from are we going to survive to like, wait, there's other stuff going on here. Yeah. Yeah. There are more pressing concerns. There is weirdness that must be investigated. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Solitary was directed by Greg Yetanes, who mm-hmm. basically started in small budget action movies in the late 90s. So kind of an auteur after my own heart. Oh, starts yes. out with the like trashy action movies that clogged the shelves of movie gallery. Oh, yes. And then moved on to directing action TV with things the likes of uh, VIP, the UPN show starring Pamela Anderson. Oh, yes. I remember that show. 
We that. all do. We all. Do. We were the exact target age for it. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh man, it's taking me back. What if What if Maxim Magazine had a gun pointed right, right at you? <laughs> It's like your two loves combined. Oh, boy. Then he went on to be on a show uh, that is germane to the discussion in that it was uh, created by Carlton Cuse, but it was this show called Martial Law. Have you ever heard of this? Mm, That's not ringing a bell for me. Okay, so it's a kind of a Walker, Texas Ranger type show in that it stars a martial artist and it's a buddy cop dynamic but the buddy cop dynamic in this case is between Sammo Hung who is one of the biggest stars of Chinese action film Mm -hmm. uh, worked with Jackie Chan on hundreds of movies and was kind of the guy who mentored him and brought him up and he's his claim to fame is that he's this uh gentleman of size who can do backflips and incredibly he's athletic acrobatic intense martial arts yeah and it's him paired up with arsenio hall doing what? crime fighting oh, so they just rush houred this came oh out my before God. rush hour too no so Oh martial gosh. law did not last very long well it actually it had like 40 episodes it, it hung in there for longer than i would have guessed that's respectable actually that's a <laughs> good a show run that does not sound respectable at all right honestly <laughs> but then he also directed a couple episodes of q's nash bridges so clearly he was in the rolodex to come over this is right when q's comes in and takes on another position of authority within the season and he brought this guy in and then aside from that, he uh, also directed all three episodes of Children of Dune, which was mm. uh, Sci-Fi Channel's sequel series to their Frank Herbert's Dune, which was their attempt to do Dune as like a limited series in the early 2000s. Did you ever watch that? I did not watch that. No. Mm-mm. It has some of the most hilarious costumes and production design you will ever see. <laughs> The Sardaukar in it all look like enraged French pastry chefs. They have like oh, well, I've got to look. giant okay. yeah. floppy hats and they're running onto the battlefield in these parachute pants. It's amazing. Oh no. Yeah. It sounds like a mess. Yeah, it's it's not very good. It's got uh William Hurt mm-hmm. playing Duke Leto Atreides what? and he oh, he seems like he is on some sort of a horse tranquilizer through that whole show. <laughs> He seems like... Oh my god, it's got James McAvoy? Well, that's the thing. Children of Dune, which is the follow-up that he directed, was actually way better received, and that has James McAvoy playing Leto II, who is Paul's son. Okay, okay. Some people stand that one to an extent. I, I imagine it does not hold up super well, especially in light of the new Dune, but definitely a big step up from the first Dune miniseries. And then he's worked a lot, honestly. He directed the pilot of the Game of Thrones spinoff, House of the Dragon, that's coming out soon. Oh, okay, that's him. And he's also an executive producer on that, so that's huge shit. That's huge. I know HBO is putting everything they possibly can into that show. I mean, I'm sure that's Mm -hmm. just top priority over at their production. Um, so yeah. absolutely that's that's where he wound up but i i thought he did a, a really solid job with this episode yeah i think so here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs coming off their parents plan or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Do we want to talk about Raised by Another? Yeah, yeah, we might as well. Because it really, it ties in with this episode so much. Exactly. Yeah, yeah they're thematically similar. Yeah. So Raised by Another focuses on Claire Littleton. The episode chronologically occurs one week after the events of Solitary. And so in the current timeline, we're focusing on Claire, who's approaching her final trimester. She's in her final trimester and is at the end of it. Um, she has night terrors. I mean, she's starting to experience increased anxiety. The other losties are worried for her health. Jack, with his great bedside manner, is just like, here, take a sedative and go away. Meanwhile, Charlie is a little bit more empathetic and is worried about this woman. And he recommends himself as the treatment. Thank you, Charlie. <laughs> Matters worsen when Claire is attacked by an unknown assailant while she is sleeping. Who's, this person seemed to be after her baby. Um, she didn't get a good look at this person, so she's terrified that someone is um, trying to kidnap her or harm her child. During the flashback timeline, and I think this is one of the this is actually one of the better written flashbacks, I think, and it's just a good story. So Claire is living with her then her then boyfriend played by Kira O'Donnell um, when they find out that they are pregnant they try to make things work that falls apart when her boyfriend leaves Claire decides that she's going to go visit a psychic who's played by Richard Malkin uh, excuse me his name is Richard Malkin played by Nick Jameson um, and he tells her that she alone must parent her child otherwise the baby's going to be in danger so that prompts claire to give up pursuing um, adoption for the child and instead uh, decide that she is going to carry the baby to term she meets with balkan one last time and he tells her that he's found an acceptable adoption agency in la and he offers her tickets aboard oceanic flight 815 and the episode ends with the following plot points in pretty rapid succession happening all at the same time. In the current timeline, Hurley decides to conduct a census in the wake of the abduction attempt, and he notices that there are discrepancies on the names on the manifest and the people who are the survivors. While walking with Charlie, Claire goes into labor. Um, we already talked about how Saeed shows up back on the beach claiming that there are other people living on the island. And Locke's hunting buddy, whose name is Ethan, arrives to help Claire and Charlie, and he shows up with the most creepy, dead-eyed, thousand-yard stare I have ever seen on screen, and that's the end of the episode. Oh, it's such a good cliffhanger, man. It is. Oof. Yeah, William Mapother, man, he really brings a great, great, weird energy. Oh. I'm not sure where he's coming from. He, uh, of course, is uh, a cousin to Thomas Mapother. Who's that? Who is that guy? Um, I've never heard of him before. <laughs> Thomas Mapother? I feel like Thomas I've heard Mapother? that before. Is he in movies? <laughs> he's in a few movies. Okay. Um, 
he has he just has a good energy and you definitely you see that family resemblance right away he kind of looks like tom cruise just got let out of the mako tank a little bit early you know <laughs> he didn't get enough like genova juice and oh, now God. he's like sprawling out <laughs> but uh he's got a great presence you know he's he's suitably creepy all through this episode to where you kind of know that he's gonna be the reveal at the end but it's still it's such a great moment of him just cornering them and yeah you know, shit's Ugh. gonna pop off it's yeah. it's weird because he does seem friendly you're just like wow that guy just seems off somehow and then when he shows up again there's just nothing in his eyes and that's mm-hmm. the more disturbing part just that last close-up it's, it's so creepy yeah through his performance alone he really suggests that the others are a totally different sort of society or that they've been indoctrinated into some sort of dark arts mm-hmm. belief in some sort of lovecraftian god or something yep. you you have no idea but your mind is immediately racing just based off of his performance as to what these people are actually like yeah and it's it's exciting what do you think of the episode i liked it claire is this character who just because of her impending pregnancy she feels at times like she's more of a complication for other characters than mm-hmm. a really strong, fleshed out person in her own right. Mm-hmm. But I thought this episode, you said the flashback is well written. It's really well paced. This episode really does a good job of like covering a bunch of ground, doing a little bit of drama with her, with her uh, deadbeat boyfriend who uh, <laughs> like <laughs> is first like, oh, no, we definitely should have this baby. And then yeah. turns around to now nah, I'm going to split, uh, which is quite a combination. Of yes. Here. Great guy. Yeah, yeah. But then to take it from that into heavy mythology is a pretty cool twist that I don't think anybody saw coming at the time. This was another episode that the network was really nervous about. A big part of the reason that this one got switched with Solitary is because the network just wasn't sure about having all of these sort of mystical turns where even in the outside world, people Mm -hmm. are aware of the island's power. You know, this psychic can obviously sense it and sets Claire up to be marooned there so that she can take care of her baby. I mean, that's huge. so dark. Yeah. It suggests an almost like worldwide effect that the magic of this island has or that there might be some sort of conspiracy. So, Do you think that the psychic knew that she was going to survive the crash or do you think that he was just kind of like, well, the crash will happen and she'll die? Oh, that's interesting. She might die or she mm-hmm. might have the baby. Yeah, that's, uh, that's up in the air. I think the show wants you to think that he knew that she would end up exactly where she is now, but that's, that's uh. an interesting twist on it that he might have just been like, like her having this baby is such a dangerous thing that right. uh, if she doesn't live, it's better off. It's for exactly too. Yeah. Hmm. Oof. Sinister for sure. Mm-hmm. Without a <laughs> doubt. Who directed this episode? So this episode was directed by Marita Grabiak, who came up as a script supervisor, which I, I thought was uh, a bit of an unusual way to get to directing. It's pretty cool because like. A script supervisor on a set is the person who has 
a copy of the script and is specifically noting things for continuity. So making sure that somebody picks up a prop at the right time every time in a take so that you can edit something together or making sure that someone's makeup stays from scene to scene the way that it should. So she started as a script supervisor on features. She was the scripty on the Super Mario Brothers movie. Oh, yes. Bob Hoskins. Yes. John Leguizamo. John Leguizamo. Hell which, yeah. Uh, it's just a fucking legendary shoot. <laughs> I think Hoskins said he was drunk literally for the entire production. And uh, you just imagine the combination of first-time filmmakers, gigantic property, and a total, total disaster. <laughs> That must have been a hell of a thing to just be there every day, like doing your little notes in the script and be like, all right, so we're calling that good. Okay. And moving on, you know, (laughs) the director said this was okay. So let me make sure I note that that's what they wanted. (laughs) I mean, so stressful, right? Because it's like up is down. You're like, oh, these are good takes and those are bad. Okay. (laughs) Let me make sure that my notes are extra detailed here. (laughs) But she got a steady gig in the early 90s as a scripty on ER, which is where she okay. ended up transitioning into television directing. She directed a few episodes of that series. She also directed a bunch of uh, the Whedonverse shows. She got on Angel and then also directed Firefly and Buffy. Cool. She she seems like she was a real you know TV journeyman. She would do every genre, basically. She went from like Gilmore Girls to SVU. She did uh, a crucial early episode of Battlestar Galactica called Water. Oh. Uh, yeah, that was the second episode of the show ever after okay three okay cool yeah which i remember being a, a really solid episode yeah and she also directed an episode of a lost clone called surface which came out just a year <laughs> or two in the lost's run uh and was filmed uh, right here in wilmington nc where i'm uh oh, laying my head these yes days. so you know that's kind of cool but uh neat. it was just it was part of that shotgun blast of networks all like making their lost ensemble clones genre shows in the wake of Lost blowing up and they basically all ate shit after a season or two. (laughs) How many, what did we have? We had uh, Surface, we had Invasion, Flash Forward. Flash Forward was the big one. That was part of it. That was with Joseph Fiennes, correct? Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. Joseph Fiennes, man. (laughs) How did you get roped into that? (laughs) We should just do a whole pod on Joseph Fiennes because there's something about that guy that I'm just like, man, what? What happened here? He was making amends for having played Michael Jackson. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm glad you went there because I was going to hop there next. But, man, right, what right. a... what a guy's making choices. Um, yeah. And uh, these days, as often happens, I think, with TV directors, you know, she's stuck around in the industry, but um, now she's basically transitioned into directing Hallmark Christmas movies. And she's done over a dozen of those wow it's funny so one of those filmed near me recently and uh, you would think hallmark movies these directors they just churn them out they Mm -hmm. put out so many of them a year it must just be like an assembly line well-oiled machine everybody has a good time doesn't take it too seriously and i know a a bunch of my friends worked on this one particular Hallmark movie, and it was a nightmare, dude. No. Like, 
multiple departments were completely fired. The director of photography made a racist joke on set on like the first day and was fired from it. And uh, it just continued to collapse from there. And I'm just like... (laughs) I I get having this horrible of an experience if you're making a Coppola movie or something in the 70s where everyone's <laughs> coked out and crashing helicopters into the mountainside. But it's like, to make a fucking Hallmark movie, man? And make it be a horrible experience? What are you doing? Right. It's supposed what are you to be doing? a saccharine, loving, kumbaya-level experience we got Not here. even that. It's just supposed to be easy. Yeah. These things are disposable entertainment in its, like, purest, most abject form how is it that you're having a heart of darkness experience making it oh so i just thought that was crazy that's a great premise for a film yeah right (laughs) maybe even a paul feig style tv show oh yeah oh yeah yeah. man what do you think about emily de raven i really like her performance yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) you tell me i think she's great (laughs) no i think she's great Uh, and again What? What? No, 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 no. No, I think she's great, and I thought... (laughs) You sound like you don't believe me. (laughs) I don't! I was waiting for the other shooter. What? Oh, okay, okay. Oh, no, no. There's nothing there to... Honestly, I think you're right. Like, I agreed with your earlier point about how the character of Claire is just written as some... Often just like an impediment for other characters, which I think sucks. And I think that she's a good character. She could be an even better character in her own right. I think DeRaven is a great actress, and I, I don't have any complaints at all. Um, I just wish, again, that they're... I think this is the tough thing about ensemble TV, is that you can grab so many talented people, put them on screen, and they all can show up well beyond the content that you're writing for them. And that's the thing that I think is always a little bit disappointing, is that like even in the case of like uh, Saeed, and even in the case of, I think, Claire, which is that you can write these characters, they're interesting, and the actors bring so much more to the screen than you're expecting or intending, and I think it makes you wish for more uh, to be written about the characters. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. I think her performance is really strong, and I think the material she has does not match the level of investment that she's giving to it, but I will say this Mm -hmm. episode does a really good job of making a Claire flashback seem vital, which I think anyone prior to this episode would not have expected that. They wouldn't have expected that her whole backstory would be so tied into the mythology of the island that it would be revealing these greater mysteries. And I think it was a really smart decision for the show. And I think that this episode is really well paced. If they had any sense that maybe focusing on Claire was going to be a bit shaky in terms of the script that they had, because apparently this was like an all hands on deck type situation to figure out this particular script. I think what they landed on was an episode that just really works and moves at a really good clip. And Mm -hmm. she's great in it, man. I mean, dude, the screams that she has in this episode are unbelievable. I just had to keep noting it. She's doing absolute uh, horror lead work. Blood curdling. Yeah. Absolutely. Blood curdling. Exactly. Without a doubt. So she started off landing her first acting gig at what, age 18? And it was a recurring role 
on Beastmaster. You remember that show, right? <laughs> I do. Oh, yeah. You love that show. Beastmaster. Oh. I feel like that was a show I wasn't allowed to watch. I was like, I really want to see Beastmaster. But it's on one of those adult channels, you know? And now it's Beastmaster and uh, the show with Pamela right, Anderson. Right, exactly. Yeah, but that's it. I, I look at the poster for Beastmaster now and I'm like, oh, yes, very adult. <laughs> very serious. I'm not sure if I'm mature enough now to watch Beastmaster. I got to be honest. It's just Daniel Goddard in a loincloth and a backpack. With a cheetah uncomfortably close yes. to him. Like he is about to make out with that cheetah at any second. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So DeRaven, she attended the National Institute of Dramatic Art before moving to L.A. to attend the Primetime Actors Studio. Yeah. She had the role in Beastmaster. Um, later, she had that in her back pocket, you know? She had that role. Yeah, she did. She just, man, she took that role and turned it into plenty. So she was later on Roswell. She bounces around through some one-off appearances on like NCIS, Canadian series called The Handler. Um, then she landed Lost, um, and she had actually originally um, auditioned for the role of Shannon, but again, the creators wanted a more multicultural cast, so they cast Claire. Um, as being an Australian woman um, to fit DeRaven's uh, background. Sure, nice and multicultural. <laughs> oh, yes, exactly. blonde-haired, mm-hmm. yes. blue-eyed little cherub. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she got a little bit of a pop, right? Like, she got some work. She ended up, what, in Ryan Johnson's Brick, which, again, is not much yeah, of a role. That's a tiny part. She's really good in that one scene, the, the one mm-hmm, flashback. Mm-hmm. So she was in uh, Michael Mann's Public Enemies, and then she was also in Alan Coulter's Much Maligned Remember Me alongside Robert Pattinson. That was a rough watch. Cashing in that Sopranos yeah. check to do fucking yeah. Remember mm. Me. I was discussing that movie with uh, remember Josh and Maria the other day, and I think Maria was the one she was like, I like to think that the plane hit him specifically, <laughs> you know? that It wasn't just that this was a flashback structure leading up to the reveal that he died in 9-11, but that literally the plane went, like, nose first after him. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. fucking movie. I'm gonna let that just yeah. sit, yeah. After Lost, uh, Emily DeRaven, she is cast as Belle from Beauty and the Beast in ABC's fantasy adventure show Once Upon a Time. Interesting. Which was pretty popular. Yeah, but Belle's yeah. a brunette, That's a popular man. Come film. on, we all know uh, that. Yeah, but you know, well, I think she, I think, I think, does she dye her hair? I think she dyed her hair, mm. or they might have put a wig on her. Yeah, I she's mean, whatever. Not, we don't care what she's you think. She's not Bell Energy, man. You know. <laughs> oh <on>. my gosh! <laughs> yeah, whatever. Just hang it up. And then she's worked on a few miniseries. Uh, so one is that I did note that was interesting was Air Force One is down, which did sound like Air Force One plus Black Hawk down. <laughs> or so White I had to House make a note down. Of that. Or White House down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she's still out there. That's cool, man. Good That's stuff. Cool. Yeah. Is, is she? I know she didn't really get. A big pop from this either i think so much of it is just these actors were swallowed up by the lost schedule for so long i mean the only role i really remember her taking around this time aside from brick which i believe was shot before lost even started was oh. um, she was in the hills have eyes oh that's right mm-hmm. uh, well she actually she sticks around through that whole movie she's in this incredibly graphic rape scene which it's just like oh great you know i get to like do a feature yeah. after this tv show and like that's what you have in store for me awesome yeah but Oof. i i don't know 
it's a gnarly fucking movie, but um, I think it's kind of underrated. And it's kind of one of those movies that people don't bring up often enough, in my opinion, in terms of remake that's head and shoulders above the original. I, I think it's way better. Okay. Um, but yeah. All right. Anyway. <laughs> no comment from you, Phil no. over here on the grimy 2000s horror, which I, I understand. No. I get it. I get it. That's a pit. That's a pitfall I'm trying to avoid there. Yeah, Fair that's a enough. trap. There's a trap door. A it's jigsaw a style Lin-lit. trap. Oh yeah, exactly. that you won't be reaching into. Nope, not yeah. at all. Severing mm-hmm. my own hand just to avoid that. Linlit is she the writer on Raised by Another? Yeah. So this was her only writing credit on Lost. She also had written on Nash Bridges. Uh, so she had a potential connection through Cues. Crossing Cues. But then mm-hmm. she was also part of the writing staff on Crossing Jordan, which Lindelof was on. So potentially they both oh, knew wow. her and brought her in. But she wasn't part of the initial brain trust. She was brought in later in the season, I think, because they just needed okay. more writers. They were, they were so behind and uh, they just needed more ideas. But she didn't stay with the show for very long. She was a consulting producer, but she only stayed on the show through Hearts and Minds, which is episode 13. Okay. That, to me, suggests her contract or whatever wasn't renewed through, like, a mid-season pickup. Because typically these network shows would, like, do an order of 13 episodes and then do the back 12, 13 or whatever. So so maybe she didn't stay on post that. So uh, I, I think it was just a really fraught time. And uh, they ended up shuffling this episode around so it comes after Solitary, which I think was a great choice. Because having this episode and then going right into the next episode that's all pursuit of Ethan and Charlie and that whole conflict. The next episode is one of my favorites of the season, and I'm so glad that it didn't get split up with Saeed doing his own quest that's completely separate and everyone, I guess, chilling and uh, working on their golf swing in the meantime. Yeah. Overrated, underrated, what would you say? Actually, I'll go. I think underrated. I mean, I've already said this before, but I think Naveen Andrews is underrated. I think he's a great actor who brings a lot to the table. I don't really think that they use him to his full potential for the remainder of the series. Overrated? And, you know, I'll even say underrated is the just short amount of time that Ethan Rom is on screen. Yeah. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. Or maybe it's, yeah, I, I'll say it's a little bit underrated. Overrated, I would say definitely golf. <laughs> Let's just go ahead and put that out there. I mean, it's it's a weird plot line. Um, oh, no, it's... It's cute, but it also is a little bit no, weird. Oh, right, oh, right. I like that it's yeah. giving Hurley more material. I just love to yes. see Jorge Garcia get more chances. He's great. Yeah, he has a great moment in Raised by Another where he says... Uh, uh, Hurley is just a nickname I have. Why? I'm not telling. And he absolutely mm-hmm. <laughs> crushes that delivery, dude. It's he does. so funny. He does. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, what about you? Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm going to go overrated Jack and Kate chemistry. Because uh, there is yeah. a moment at the beginning of Solitary where after 
having a bunch of conflict with uh, Sawyer where Jack is like, mm-hmm. mm, you change your own bandages from now on, which seems like a little like weird, passive aggressive romantic tiff of, well, I was going to change your bandages, but we had a fight. So now never mind, bro. What, why weren't you just having him like take care of that by himself to begin with? What are you doing? You know, he's like, got to come around and give everybody a checkup, depress everybody's tongue, you know, with his popsicle sticks <laughs> and then be like, yeah, but you know, you're on my shit list all right but immediately after that he walks up and he tries to flirt with kate and it's so awkward it's one of the few times that jack kind of comes on to her and immediately they go back into no we're the somber sad characters who just have to talk about problems right it's just leaden and weird and immediately you're like bummed out and then underrated by comparison i'm gonna go with the chemistry between Jorge Garcia and Josh Holloway, the scene they have together where yes, Hurley comes and negotiates so good. to get his, uh, manifest. his manifest and Sawyer's sitting there wearing some awesome, like, <laughs> children's sunglasses that are just, just really, like, flamboyant and hilarious. And you can tell he's like, I look ridiculous and I'm fucking owning it. And the two of them have such yes. a great back and forth. These characters and these actors are popping so much more than the supposed leads of this show, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's also kind of weird, that scene between Jack and Kate, because I feel like it's Jack being a little passive-aggressive because Kate is worried about Saeed being, having been gone for like a week. And he doesn't like that. Did you catch yeah. that? Yeah, it's just kind of like, oh my god, like she's paying attention to another guy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's some weird character interactions, like, sprinkled through these episodes, for sure. There's a part two where uh, Boone mentions something about the Patriot Act, and then Shannon says, he's a liberal. And I thought that was the weirdest fucking line. Does Shannon think she's at a young Republicans meeting on this beach? I think so, yeah. Does she she look around and say, I'm among my people here? We're all about guns and low taxes, you know? Look at the look at the audience around you, girl. She does not, but that's the thing. That's the thing about Shannon is that she does not look around and take in the audience around. She does not read the room or she does not read the beach at all. That is a good point. That's a good point. All right, do you have your power rankings? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Oh, no, no. You want to go ahead? No, go for it. I already went first last time. You you go. (laughs) You're always going first because I do not have my shit together. (laughs) Um, So for my power rankings, I am going to list the mysteries as they stand currently. Hmm. Uh, All right. Don't usually just say up front what my (laughs) power rankings are in reference to, but I'm throwing down the gauntlet this time, I guess. So I'm going to put at number five, the whispers. Because Mm, to mm -hmm. me, the whispers are only interesting in the sense that they represent a folie ado, that they represent a madness that Danielle Rousseau seemed to be suffering from and then seems to be afflicting Saeed at the end. This mystery is really only Mm -hmm. interesting insofar as we're invested in Saeed and we want to know that he's not going crazy or know that he'll be all right. So I'm going to put the whispers down at five because otherwise I find them to be kind of a lame mystery. It's kind of a typical, oh, we'll throw in a little sound design and some whispering and we'll Mm -hmm. fill it in later. And I don't think they actually ever conclusively solve the whispers to any sort of satisfying degree. I think it just kind of gets dropped. And it also reminds me of, did you watch Raised by Wolves on HBO this most recent season? No, I I, I nope. enjoyed that show. 
it has unbelievable production design. The first episode is directed by Ridley Scott. He actually directed the first two, but the pilot is pretty fucking amazing. But that was a show that got into lost style mysteries. And in particular, it brought in a character hearing whispered voices that literally were only there to have him make the most convenient plot decision to extend the narrative at a particular point. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. They're doing the fucking whispers too. Come on. Yeah. So that's going right. to be at number five. All right. And number four, I'm going to go with the destiny of the crash, essentially. This idea that these characters might have been fated to crash here, which is brought into sharp relief in the Claire episode. We kind of get that vibe from Locke too earlier. He certainly seems to be someone who feels like he was destined to crash on this island. What potential power did the island have over these characters crashing here? Are the characters destined or were they just on a destined flight that was going to go down? Like, what? what's the, the idea there? I see. But the reason I rank it low is because I'm not a huge fan of the every character is interconnected through a wheel of Dharma kind of mystery element. Oh, did you just say a wheel of oh, Dharma? Perhaps? Shit. Oh, Maybe there's an initiative. <laughs> that dharma has <laughs> why would why would the wheel of dharma initiate anything phil whatever could you mean I, yeah I, I mean i'm just saying sometimes dharma I wants to initiate things mean that but yes anyway yeah yeah so thinking of like the fucking dark tower ka and ka Tet, you know all all of that stuff where all these characters were meant to come together it's just it's not my favorite i more prefer when characters are thrown together by happenstance and then they interface in ways that you would never expect which is kind of the original pitch of the show before we got into this like a fellowship of characters <laughs> coming together <laughs> In a common cause? Perhaps, perhaps. Okay. Yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah. All right. But Maybe. this is a lost podcast. Okay, <laughs> right. keep going. Exactly. It's not, yeah. So um, at number three, I'm going to put the black rock because it's just a cool a fucking phrase, man. That was one that jumped out at the time. I was immediately like, Doesn't it? oh yeah. my God, what is this black rock? Why'd they all Think go there? Think of some mm -hmm. dark mountaintop where the others hold executions. Yeah, it's like Mount Doom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can just throw everyone to the volcano. Oh, you like what I no, just no, did no. there, didn't you? You need to stop. You, you like what I did stop. there. <laughs> <laughs> Phil Phil has an extended edition right now, let me tell you. He just was so excited to drop these fucking references in. Oh my god, it's disgusting. I'm good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm good. <laughs> and then I'll say also about the Black Rock, not to spoil anything, but the reveal of the Black Rock is fucking awesome. It is one of my favorite answers to a question that a loss poses this season. It really it goes above and beyond, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. So then at number two, I'm going to put the monster, normally the number Ooh. one mystery on this show. Wow. But I am downgrading okay. the monster for right now because as awesome as the monster is, as much as it just promises so much, I got to give my number one to the others, man. The others have okay. come in All right. That's respectable. and become such a fascinating thing because they are this immediate physical threat and as embodied by Ethan mm -hmm. Rom, the others have never been 
creepier, have never promised a more intriguing mythology backing them up. So uh, yeah, right now the others are snatching that top spot away from my beloved potential go. mechanical T-Rex, which is like You're the so most upset. Alex pitch in the world. It's like there's a fucking really robot is. dinosaur on this show, y'all. I'm You're there. Like, what? You know? Green light I'm just, that. Green light that. Just slamming that blue nut button as fast as I fucking can. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, yeah, my yeah. power rankings at number five. Mine are a little bit more traditional. Okay. Uh, so at number five, I, I put Claire slash Emily DeRaven. Yes. I think she, again, shines in her episode. She is doing the most that she can with the material that she's given. I really love her pronunciation of the word bastard when she's like, listen, you bastard. Yeah. <laughs> suddenly you just get that Australian piratical yes. roots coming out. It's so gratifying to hear that. Yes. At four, I'm going to go with, in the same vein, Naveen Andrews slash Saeed for, again, demonstrating the softer side of a very dangerous, competent human being and showing that he's got a heart underneath all of that tension that he's just got walking around with him on the island. Such a great character. I, I like oh, yeah. I like Naveen Andrews. Great character. At three, pregnancy, because this show manages to make pregnancy look absolutely terrifying and horrible. And I think it does a really good job during these first, what, nine to ten episodes? Yeah. Yeah. It's hitting all those marks. I, it's just kind of like, I, I want no part of this. It is amping up the tension of it, absolutely. Ooh, yeah. Good grief. At two, I'm going to go with psychics because they seem to be around and are doing things that seem at once benevolent and then potentially malevolent and malicious all within one episode. It's terrifying. Um, and I like, I believe it's uh, Jameson's performance where you're just kind of like, oh, he seems like he's really trying to do the right thing by Claire during the first half of Raised by Another. But then by the end, you're just kind of like, man, that is just all types of shady and is really creeping me out. What did this guy see? What did this guy know? What was he trying to do by giving her tickets to a plane that he knew was going to crash? It's creepy. Yeah. It's ominous, man. Yeah, it's creepy. A weird thing about it, too, is that Charlie, talking to her about the psychic's reading, says, uh, if he had the gift, and I do believe that some people have it. And I'm like... This dude is a Roman Catholic, yeah. a rock star, yes. and he believes in psychics. <laughs> it's like, like what on earth? <laughs> what a combination of belief structures oh, this guy has. Oh, man. Yes, like, this guy has just taken all of it. You're going to see next that he had like an Orthodox Judaism phase where he was also a rapper, yes. you know? He went like full modest Yahoo. Exactly, exactly. Also, there was a period of time where he studied Islam while also running a butcher shop or something <laughs> exactly. like that. Like while also running a barbecue restaurant. <laughs> exactly, thank you, yes. Uh, <laughs> Called Charlie's. Yeah, um, yeah. at number uh, one, I've got to go with, uh, again, a split, a split award to dead-eyed Ethan Rom. And as you put, the others do deserve a top-notch, a um, top-of-the-standings yeah. here because they are terrifying. We don't know who they are, what they look like. We don't even know how many of them have infiltrated uh, the survivor camps. Like, that's something I thought about at the end of the rewatch, which was Ethan's there. Are there, again, no pun intended, others that are also amongst the survivors who are up to no good? And will they reveal themselves? Yeah, it's one of those great TV cliffhangers that you just know 
And the next episode is going to be fucking awesome. You just know that shit is going to go down in the next episode as soon as you see the end of it. I agree. Yeah. Good stuff. Any other final thoughts? Man, I don't think so. Oh, wait. No, I don't have anything. No, I was just about to say it's uh, it's time for your favorite game. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) See, I had a spotless record the last time we played this. So now, (laughs) now you just don't. It can only go down from here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, We'll see. I don't know. We will see. All right, here we go. You ready for this? All right. It's time for name that episode, ladies and gentlemen. Here we go. Question number one. Tucker Gates, who directed several episodes of Lost, also directed this season three episode of The X-Files, during which Scully and Mulder investigate a pyramid scheme involving body parts in San Francisco's Chinatown. Yeah, I mentioned before when we were talking about Tucker Gates, how he directed two really bad episodes of The X-Files. This is one of the worst episodes of season three, which is one of the best seasons of that whole show. Uh, It's called Hell Money. Ding, 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 ding. It's just a really boring, kind of questionably racist episode. Yeah, yeah. All right, on to number two. Here we go. David Grossman, who directed an episode of the first season of Lost, also helmed this season three episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, during which Buffy and Faith meet a demon who offered them the Books of Ascension for $5,000. Ooh. Ooh, shit. Um, hmm. A demon offers them the Books of Ascension. Damn. Okay, it's not Bad Girls, right? That is no. the Buffy nope. and Faith episode. That episode, oh man. Yeah, it's not that one. <laughs> that uh, I became a man when I saw that episode. Let me tell oh, you. Oh <laughs> no, oh no. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Hey, hey, keep it Christian, yo. Uh, I love the Buffy and Faith arc so much, though. Uh, Elijah Dushku rules in that whole season. Yes, she does. Oh, damn. Of course. Um, hmm. Any any hints about the title of this one? It is one word, and hmm, it's a reference to... No, I'm not going to... It's <laughs> wait, one wait, word. Wait, wait, I can't wait. tell you anything no, no, more no, than no. that. Give me, what's it a reference to? Let me see. One word, how many letters? Uh, <laughs> how many letters? Seven letters. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's all you get. Because these are, these are the word, books of ascension letters. that the mayor uses to turn into a giant snake monster, I believe, right? It's also the plural of a Denis Villeneuve film. Oh, okay. Oh, geez. Well, uh, it's enemies, right? There we go. Yeah. There you go. Yes, that's okay. it. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. That, that gave yeah. it away. But yeah, I, I don't remember that episode title. But yeah, the, the mayor is one of my all-time favorite Buffy Big Bads. In fact, I think he's my favorite Big Bad that the show has been. He's <laughs> hilarious. He's so, like, uh. just genteel, white bread, <laughs> milk toast. And yet, at the same time, he's like, yeah, but I want to transform into this demon and eat <laughs> all of my followers. It right. fucking rules. All right. Yeah. Number three. All right. This season one episode of Deadwood was written by famous magician Ricky Jay and directed by Steve Schill, in which audiences are introduced to Alma Garrett's father, Otis Russell, and Al Swearingen attempts to get rid of Magistrate Claggett. Oh, man. I had no idea Ricky Jay wrote an episode of Deadwood. That is so cool. It's so cool, right? It's so awesome. Oh, my God. Um, shit. It's not the pilot. It's not Here Was a Man. It's not, is it Mr. Wu? No. No. And it's not Suffer the Little Children. No. No. Shit. Uh, 
Um, what what episode number is this in the season? I think it's eleven. Eleven. Fuck. So it's like maybe one from the end. I feel like there are twelve episodes in that season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The penultimate episode. Damn. Ah. Hmm. Any hint about the episode title itself? One word I will give you is the word made, M-A-D-E. Is it called Maiden Sin? No, that is the name of the final episode, um, which is Sold Under Sin. Sold Under Sin, right. No, no, I don't know it. All right. So, uh, this season one episode of Deadwood was written by famous magician Ricky Jay and directed by Steve Schill. It is entitled, Jules Boot is Made for Walking. Oh, right. What a great episode Uh... title. (laughs) Fuck. Oh, I'm sad I didn't remember that one. Uh, Yeah. It's all right, man. Uh, You got two out of three. Season one of Deadwood is fucking incredible, man. It's awesome. I think it's really a potential goat. Uh, Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. I mean, Deadwood is a goat for sure, but it's like, which season do you pick? And uh, I think a lot of people would go with two because two like really spreads the love around the ensemble cast. But uh, Mm -hmm. for me, it just it never got better than season one. I I might be inclined to agree with you on that. I might need to rewatch season two again. It's because Swearingen is so dominant in season one. Yeah. 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 And if we ever cover it, we'll get into all the reasons why his character was sort of backburnered as it went on. But uh, oh my God, it's really intriguing. The shit that was going on there. I think we should do luck that's what we should actually do skip deadwood and just do luck instead that feels almost irresponsible i don't want to encourage that kind of behavior Ooh, what a show (laughs) like someone might be should i just do a luck should i just try to like endanger a bunch of animals to make a tv show real quick oh man it was an impenetrable show to begin with and then was just and also starring dustin hoffman so you're endangering all the actors on it i know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just danger coming from oh, every corner boy. Yeah. oh man yeah any final thoughts on these two episodes uh no man i mean i think they were both solid i think they were both examples of the actors and the creative team uh really coming together and making you know some strong episodes at times like maybe the material was a little bit shaky, but they really, they thought creatively, they were thinking on their feet, and they figured out ways to make a pair of really compelling episodes, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm just so excited to see the ramp up starting, you know? I can't yeah. wait to see yeah. where it goes from here. I would agree. Yeah, I like the fact that this ramps up with Saeed's episode. We get a lot of mystery. We got a cool backstory into, you know, a person of color who's on the show, and I think that that's great. It's portrayed by a great actor. And then on the back end, you get this really, really creepy, again, mystery, and then sort of like the a tease about an answer to the, some of these mysteries with the appearance of Ethan Rom and... Um, I'm excited, yeah, just to see where the show really takes off. So it's good stuff, man. Yeah, man, for sure. So uh, just to wrap things up, I will say you can email us questions at goatseasonpod at gmail.com. You can also check out our Instagram at goatseasonpod. And uh, also just want to thank Janice O'Leary for our artwork, Josh Sullivan for our intro music, and Battlequake for our outro. And we will see you next week for a fantastic episode title that I could never forget. All the best cowboys have daddy issues and mm-hmm. the follow-up rejoinder, whatever the case may be. That's a that's a one-two punch of great episode titles. Yes, right it there. is. But yeah, we'll see you for that. Peace. Peace.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.